You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for August 7th, 2015. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from the end of an era, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Sure is, and we're going to talk about John Stewart in a little bit. But first, we want to talk about the uh, bullshit mountain debate that I called <laughs> it, was, it all day yesterday in honor of John Stewart. Yeah. It was awfully impressive. Uh, and I think you and I want to focus on what Fox News did rather than what this cadre of white men with one black doctor who was awful. I think awful. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we want to focus on what, how Fox News arranged this debate and so forth. But there was a great summary on Facebook of what the issues that were discussed and, and how the debate went um, from this woman. I'm just going to call her SS uh-huh. uh, on Facebook. And I'd like to read this. It's very brief, but I think it, it sums it up for people that didn't sit through the whole thing. Yeah. Go, go right ahead. <clears throat> Let's go to war with Iran. <laughs> yeah. Let's get rid of food stamps. Let's repeal the Affordable Care Act. Let's get rid of all financial restraints, especially Dodd-Frank. Let's cut taxes for billionaires. Let's blow up the IRS and enact a flat tax, a flat tax that will unfairly impact the poor, because who cares about them? Let's build a fence along our border with Mexico and make Mexico pay for it. Mm-hmm. Let's make abortion illegal regardless of rape, incest, or the mother's life. Let's defund the number one source of affordable health care for women... Let's deny climate change and pollute our planet to the benefit of big oil donors. And then there was 55 minutes of that. Yep. Then Fox News said, and now we would like to give all of you an opportunity to declare your love for God. Yes. And by God, we mean Roger Ailes. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the puppet master who's White running this man, entire Jesus fucking in the sky. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't mean to uh, denounce religious faith, as you know. Either nope. way is nope. fine with me. Nope. But uh, the pandering <laughs> of this debate in terms of, um, first of all, uh, and, and you and I are going to talk about this, every question to Donald Trump was designed to punch Donald Trump in the gut. Right. And Donald Trump had girded his loins and was ready to attack <clears throat> Fox. And he... Well, the moderators specifically. Yep, the moderators. He, t- yep. he took a page out of Newt Gingrich's book. Right, go after the moderator. Go after the moderator, yep. Work yep. the rep. Yep, yep. Work the yep. rep. You are, you are stupid. You people yeah. in the media are stupid. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that that works. Here's here's the thing that, that I think is interesting about that. Uh-huh. Fox tried, first of all, Fox News completely insulted the kids' table oh, yeah. with the empty auditorium. Yeah. There was that no was, need for that. That was so impressive. And it that was, was so intentional. Yeah. You people. Roger well, Ailes could have opened those doors and said, you know, this is going to be a show you don't want to miss. Come well, in. It's, you know. Remember how Roger Ailes got his start in television? The Mike Douglas Mike show. Mike Douglas show. And yeah. staging Richard Nixon's um, non. The election campaign. Yeah. His yeah. populist in the man in the arena show and he knows where to put audiences he knows yeah. where to put people in the yeah. background he yeah. knows what they should look like yeah. how they should act how they should sit 
So mm-hmm. having a, a you know the a Robert Frost, I think it was I, I, I might get that wrong, although I quoted it, said something about hell is a half full auditorium. Mm-hmm. Well, this was hell cube. It was yeah. empty. There was nobody there, and that because it's television is entirely on purpose. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was a big fuck you to everybody who didn't make and. Honestly, if you think about it from the point of view of not a debate, because this wasn't a debate, mm-hmm. this was a this was an employee outing. Yes, it was right. There, there were two groups of Fox employees: the ones on the stage and the ones sitting asking questions. Mm-hmm. Everyone there works for Roger Ailes, more mm-hmm. or less. Yep. So this was really um, Thunderdome. It was make the kids at the kid table fight over who gets to come to the big show. Mm-hmm. And the people mm-hmm. at the big show were all have to fight to stay on stage. This was Roger Ailes exercising absolute power over the Republican Party by making a pile of drowning men and women, one woman, mm-hmm. climb over each other to see who gets to stay above the waterline. And there, there was no question in my mind that Carly Fiorina was going to win. No. When I saw – she is the only person on the stage who's able to wear a red suit. Uh-huh. And red is the color of power and psychologically empowering to wear that. Sure. And I'm not I'm not making a big deal about her clothes in some sexist way. No. I'm saying when when you are able to prepare yourself for television in the way that Carly Fiorina, who's been on ABC News panels, and she knew that her job was to attack Hillary Clinton, which. Uh No one at the big table had time to do because because Donald Trump was there. Um, and so she, quote, unquote, won the the cocktail party debate uh, because <laughs> she it, was. I call it jun- the junior chamber of crazy. There so, you go. Junior yeah. chamber of crazy debate. And she'll probably bump Ben Carson sure. <laughs> off the next stage. And, uh-huh. and uh, you know, the non-white male, non-white non-males will take turns. Uh, and. Um, you know she'll be on. She'll be available because they're not really running for president. No, they're running for jobs at Fox News, and they're running to be able to call themselves in speaking tours former presidential candidates. Yeah, um, and we're going to talk about uh, that a little more. But I wanted to talk about Fox News trying to take down Trump, having created the base for Trump. Yes, they now are trying to take down Trump and put that genie back in the bottle. And I think they failed because I think the base has a lot of resentment mm-hmm. against media in general. But when they think media in general, what they're really talking about is Fox. Fox News promised them that Romney would win. Yes, they did. They, they Fox this- News promised them that Romney was going to beat the worst president in history. By a lot. By a lot. And, and, and Karl Rove had the math. He has, he has the, the math, yeah, and it, yeah. it's going to be it's going to be a wipeout. It's going to be a going to be a landslide, and and Romney's going to win. And don't worry. And this was the promise they made during the Bush administration. Yeah, that you they would never have to we would never have to actually answer for all the crimes and all the bullshit that we have spouted mm-hmm. because we're never going to lose again. It's going to be a permanent Republican majority, and all of the, you can let your crazy fly because nobody's mm-hmm. going to come to your house and call you stupid racist asshole. For, because we're going to win forever. Well, and you're not going to be a loser. Right. And, and this is the appeal of Trump, which is Trump is saying, we're going to be winners. We're Even if we have to be an asshole, we're going to be a winner. Right. And assholes win. <laughs> People right. like me who shout at the moderator, uh-huh. we're winners. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's Rush Limbaugh. 
as well. Oh, yeah. That's Limbaugh's world. You know, everyone else is a loser. We're winners. Well, why would and, they? And, uh, and the way he went after Chris Wallace, who looked like he was trying to, to shit out a porcupine backward <laughs> every time Donald Trump looked at him. He had that really creepy, smiley look on his face like, I, I have to now sit here and take this guy raining shit down on me. Yeah. Um, was man, it, th- this was the monster they couldn't control. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they brought in Megyn Kelly to shake her tits at him and mm-hmm. ask him hard questions about his really rec- hard question. Women. Yeah, really and, hard question. And he bullied her right back. I, I'm looking this up really quick. Um, as one of my uh, readers, if I may read them uh, aloud, it's RF. I'll just call him RF. Okay. Said. That he will say it slowly to clueless feminists. Megan Kelly works for a network that carries the water for a party that very seriously wants to move the clock back 100 years and destroy women's rights. Megan Kelly's act is a con. Mm-hmm. Megan Kelly works for a network that wants to take all of your rights away. Mm-hmm. And she does it for money because yep. she's a whore and she's a con artist. The yep. problem is Donald Trump is a better con artist than she is. Yep. He yeah. knows his base. And this is getting back to the um, real estate analogy I used um, a podcast or two ago. The The base is a piece of property. And this entire circus can be seen as a fight between Roger Ailes and Donald Trump over who gets to squat on that piece of property and declare it to be theirs. And Donald Trump is still hanging on to the base and Roger Ailes is still fighting to to pry him loose because whoever owns the base either gets to decide who gets to run for president or they get to name an enormous price yeah. for the purchase of that property. And Roger Ailes doesn't want to have to bust out his checkbook and write Trump a check for $100 million or half a billion dollars or give him his own show so that Trump will back off. I think that's the price it's going to be. I think that's what it's going to be, is his own show and the rights to the profits to it. Because what else What else would you want? Or what else could you, you know, he can't. He can ask for anything at this point, I'm pretty sure. Yep. So. And the idea that you're going to reverse, you know, what about these positions you took? Okay, there were a lot of questions about back in 1999 you said this, and back in mm-hmm. whatever you said that. And it, it, it is, I had to remind all of my liberal friends on the Twitter yesterday who were just losing their shit over this, they're not talking to you. Hal Sparks. Hal Sparks is like, oh, my God, can you believe? Oh, my God. I love Hal Sparks. I think Hal's (laughs) great. But, dude, they're not talking to you. They don't care about you. They hate you. They have no interest in impressing you. This is not – has nothing to do with you. This has to do with feeding raw red meat to the base. Mm -hmm. And – the one thing you never want to do if you're Fox News is relitigate the past, is yeah. talk about what people said yesterday and the day before. Because once you open that can, man, once you start talking about, well, remember back in 1999 when you said thus and so? Yeah, you remember back in 2003 when you said there were WMD in Iraq? You never yeah. want to. You remember when Sean Hannity said George W. Bush was the greatest president in history? Remember the, that? Yeah. The, the thing that you, the thing that you, the promise you have made to your base. In addition to winning the Republican primary and winning the presidency and never losing again is you would never have to visit the past again. You can, you, you can, you can shut out everything you said during the Clinton administration because nobody's ever going to bring it up. You can get away with all the murder you got away with under the Bush administration because nobody – we promise you 
We're never going to bring up the fucking past again because we know that's where all the scary evidence is that you're a bunch of bigoted, racist, paranoid lunatics. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to face that first thing in the morning, so we won't ever talk about that. And then they got into the business of talking about the past, and that is extraordinarily dangerous because that's where all the evidence is buried (laughs) that the base of the party are unfit to be citizens, are pig Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and if you if once you start cracking that open, Trump can rush right in and start talking Mm -hmm. about your past. Remember what you did. And he Mm -hmm. he failed. He blew a couple of questions and he screwed up a couple of times. But who cares? He he knows the con. He is he is a much better carnival barker than anybody else on that stage. And everybody got their their shot at greatness. And the most interesting part to me was the way that the seated Fox employees propped up. Mar- uh, Marco Rubio. Yeah. Scott, yeah. Scott Walker looked like he had just been sort of stuck up on stage like a color form for the Koch brothers. I thought I thought he looked plugged in. Yeah, very much so. Flat yeah. and boring. But it was so interesting to contrast the questions that were given to the people that Fox News wants to win mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. people that Fox News wants to destroy. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, you're a misogynist asshole who says cruel things about women. How are you ever going to stand up to Hillary Clinton? Yeah. Marco Rubio, <laughs> tell us about your tough childhood and how awesome you are. That'd be great. Could you do that? Shake my Also, Marco Rubio let slip something that I don't know if anyone else caught. Mm-hmm. But he talked about he was comparing his hard scrabble upbringing to Hillary Clinton being so privileged. Uh-huh. And, you know, that four years ago I had $100,000 in student loans. Yeah. And it's like, how did you pay off $100,000 of student loans in four years? Well, I think we know why. (laughs) And Jeb Bush. pointed out on Twitter, sugar daddy. Yeah. And Jeb Bush was a stumbling mess. Everybody had, you know, one set piece that they recited correctly. Yeah. Um, And I, I, I watch this because I believe it's my civic responsibility to our podcast listeners (laughs) to, to watch. Um, but it, it had nothing to, first of all, it had nothing to do with the real world at all. There was no, at no point did anyone's policy statements or anybody's priorities have anything to do with the real world. They have, they really have jettisoned reality altogether. This is a completely separate pocket universe, a bubble of crazy uh, that has its own rules. Yes. So uh, Mike Huckabee can talk about Planned Parenthood, you know, harvesting children and tearing them to pieces and selling them for cash. And nobody just pimp slaps him off the stage yeah. for lying. The for thing lying. Yeah. most amazing was there were more lies per square inch than I've seen in a long time. Just And there's no no one calling them, nobody fact-checking them, no consequences to it. And it, as a, a, a piece of history, something you put in um, – uh, uh, something you bury for, for 10 years, a time capsule. Time capsule, yeah. Um, as, yeah. as something you put in a time capsule for future civilizations to look at, these wealthy – well-to-do people, <clears throat> all answerable to one um, insane um, oligarch who's not on stage, who are all being funded by other insane oligarchs who are not on stage, uh, who babble for 90 minutes in a conversation that has nothing to do with reality whatsoever. is complete mm-hmm. complete denial about everything. Well, and they're not really running for president. I mean, right. that's the thing that just gets you is that this was a very, very good night for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Because she's actually <clears throat> running for president. And I loved – we're going to talk about Obama's Iran speech in a minute. Yeah. Um, I want to get to that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, – 
I loved what Hillary Clinton said this week about, I plan to be president of the United States. <laughs> and when I'm president, because I plan to do that, here's what I plan to do about student loans. Here's what I plan to do about climate change. Here's what I plan to do about the middle class. Here's what I plan to do about women's rights and voting rights and things that really matter. And, you know, voting rights, climate change, and uh, middle class uh, aspirations. Uh-huh. That, that came up just a little bit, uh, but climate change didn't come up and voting no. rights didn't come up well, at all. And, and Or did Black Lives Matter? And why? Yep. But, but the important thing, the really important thing is why didn't those things come up? Because they don't exist. Right. Right. The voting rights is not an issue because uh, Barack Obama won through voting fraud and ACORN <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. Um, um, climate change, there is no climate change. It's a lie. It's a, it's a lie made up by a bunch We're of debating the. We'll debate the controversy later in the there, general election. There is no controversy. <laughs> the climate change is a hoax and everyone knows it. Applause, 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 applause. Yeah. Voting yeah. rights. Yeah, there's a lot of voting uh, voting violations going on by illegal immigrants and people who shouldn't vote voting for Demo- the Democrat Party. Applause, Democrat, applause, 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 applause. These yep. things don't exist at all. The mid- yeah. How do you solve the middle class problem? With a flat tax. And, uh, and 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 a flat, a flat consumption tax, yeah, and which deregulation. unbelievably applause, 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 hurts people at the again, bottom ninety percent. But again, the- no matter what happens, yeah. one of these meat bags is going to get forty five percent of the vote in this country. Yep. Yeah. No matter yeah. what happens, Donald Trump's hair could get forty five percent of the vote in this country, and enthusiastic crowds screaming about how much Donald Trump's hair has meant to them their entire lives, yeah. and yeah. bumper stickers yeah. with Donald Trump's mm-hmm. hair. It doesn't matter. These people are fucking brainwashed and there's no way to wake them up. This was a this was a pantomime show for that audience. And looking at it from the outside, it's it's insane, but it of course it's insane. It has nothing to do with us. And so I'm glad Hillary Clinton is is pleased. I'm pleased. I'm delighted. But the fact that these people were making fools of themselves and 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 refusing to talk about the important issues by our standards has nothing to do with us. You're watching a foreign country conduct a foreign election in a foreign language based mm-hmm. on issues that we find baffling. Um, here's, here to me is the interesting part, and this is where I want to segue, and, yep. and we're, we are running out of time, okay. um, segue into uh, what Joe Scarborough called ah. Obama's partisan, condescending, and arrogant Iran speech. Yeah, and that's Joe's And as I said on Facebook, looky here, projection isn't just at the movie theater. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> yeah. Democrats aren't supposed to be able to punch back. No, that's the rule. That's the rule. That's the rule. Yes. So supposed to be talk to me about this speech because you had a great post about it at Driftglass. You're supposed to be tolerant. You're supposed to not punch back ever. Oh, violating. You're violating the rules we made up for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're not open minded. Well, no, you're a bigot and you deserve to be, you know, on the ash heap of history. Um, Barack well, he did everything but say John Bolton and all of the neocons and Dick Cheney are war criminals. Yeah. And and he and and we're allowing them to run ads, you know, denying peace to the world. Well, and, and here's <laughs> and the make thing. the same mistake as they did when they started the Iraq war. So go ahead. Tell me about this. For a long time, um, we have been running two completely separate parallel narratives in this country. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand is the Republican narrative that uh, Barack Obama is the worst president in history. Liberals hate America. The Iraq war was a complete success until Barack Obama sold us out. And basically everything we just talked about, the entire 
Republican Party narrative as represented at the quote-unquote debate is one narrative stream in this country. And the other narrative stream in this country is mostly by liberals, mostly by despised outcast. Nobody listens to us anyway, going, no, no, no. The problem with this country is the Republican Party. Yeah. They're broken. They're screwed up. They're the problem. They lie constantly. They've wrecked everything. And in between those two, you have David Brooks and the centrist going, well, maybe it's one and the other, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, but it's both sides. And if you're a both siderist, you're really a Republican because what you're doing is you're enabling a bunch of lying criminal lunatics. So you have these two parallel narratives running side by side. And when they collide is when things get interesting. And as long as it was just Paul Krugman and a bunch of crazy liberals talking about the Republican Party is the problem. The Republican Party lies to itself and lies to everyone else constantly. But when Barack Obama in, in, in his speech uh, two days ago, three days ago to the American University says the same people who completely fucked up on Iraq are, are lying to you about Iran. The same people who have apparently there are no consequences to being horribly wrong about everything are wrong about this too. You can just discount those people because those are the people who got everything wrong before and why would anybody listen to clowns like that? And that is almost exactly what he said. He called out the Republican Party, he called out the backers of Iraq, and he called them out for not only getting it horribly wrong, but never learning anything from their mistakes and by opening their pie holes and, and, and using exact, he, he pointed out, Maybe you've noticed the similarity between the rhetoric on Iran and the rhetoric on Iraq. That's not an accident because the same people who got it fucking wrong on one are still around. There was no consequences to them. They never got fired. Nothing happened to them. They're still talking and they're still saying the same bullshit. Mm -hmm. And nobody is allowed to say that in the village. Nobody is allowed to mention that Bill Crystal and David Brooks have no fucking business sitting in front of a microphone. They should be in a garage somewhere doing a podcast. That is mm -hmm. <laughs> absolute maximum amount of media exposure they should have. But they're greeted, they're treated as respected guests, as, as wise men, as sages. David Brooks has a column today about the three great surrenders in our modern history are Iraq and Vietnam and Iran. Because who better to speak about American history and foreign policy and um, Iraq than one of the most successful war pimps in my adult yeah. lifetime. Yeah. Um, so there are these two distinct narratives. And there's the people in the middle who are trying to play the centrism game. But, well, you know, it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But, but with Barack Obama saying this and Paul Krugman, Paul Krugman usually does this on his blog. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But today he took it right to the op-ed pages of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. I don't think he'll go anywhere. But I'm going to scroll down just a little bit. Um, here we are. Well, it won't go anywhere because it's Paul Krugman, and we have such a bifurcated media that when the li when the liberal at the New York Times says something, it's put in that category of the liberal. And and here's here's Paul Krugman, and this is where everyone's going drift glass. And mm -hmm. it, it delights everyone is going drift glass from the president on <laughs> down. Everybody's yep. finally yep. going. And and the question is, what will come of this? I don't think anything will come of this long term because no one in the village, no one in the belt, like, can afford this. To go mm -hmm. on. They can't afford mm -hmm. to pay attention to the president when he says things like this. Mm -hmm. Paul Brookman, uh, uh, he wrote a one-off, what I thought would be probably a one-off blog post about this. But here he is in the op-ed of the New York Times today. 
It has long been obvious that the conventions of political reporting and political commentary make it almost impossible to say the obvious. Namely, that one of our two major political parties has gone off the deep end. Or as the political analysts Thomas Mann and Norman Orenstein put in their book, It's Even Worse Than It Looks, the GOP has become an insurgent outlier, unpersuaded by conventional understanding of facts, evidence, and science. It is a party that has no room for rational positions on many major issues. That is a fact. And you and I don't need to remind our listeners that Ornstein and Mann were blackballed from the Sunday shows. No, they were gone. The minute they reported this, the minute they started talking about the fact that there was um, sort of rolling into the commentary, the fact that uh, there was this conspiracy, this open conspiracy on the right, the Republican Party, to block uh, Barack Obama at all costs, at every step of the way. Those two facts, undeniable facts, are so terrifying to the Beltway media. Because they mm-hmm. directly contradict the, the centrist um, theme, which is it can't be one side. It cannot be. We cannot permit it because the minute that becomes true, we all lose our jobs. And the minute we let that on the air, our boss at Comcast or our boss at Fox News will fire our asses. Mm-hmm. So we're never going to – it doesn't matter. The president can say it. Krugman can say it. A bunch of outlier uh, bloggers could say it. The evidence of your senses can reinforce this over and over again. So there's no way to deny it if you just – Look at the world as it is, but we're not going to fucking allow it into the public square because we're, you know, we have to protect our phony baloney jobs, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And so that has become – and the tension between these positions, between the fact that the Republican Party is obviously deranged and needs to be put down like a rabid dog and start over. The fact that Fox News is owned or, or the Republican Party is owned by Fox News. The fact that there's an entire layer of pundits who make a living – lying about that and the fact that there's this group on the outside of the wall pounding to get in pounding screaming the truth throwing the truth over the top firing spitballs at it including the president of the united states now that tension is the defining political reality of our time Mm -hmm. and the person Mm -hmm. who was at the center of that tension was a guy named john stewart yep and now he has retired from the field of combat and uh, i want to compare Pair and contrast his last show with David Letterman's last show and Stephen Colbert's last show because they were fundamentally different. Yep. You know, uh, Stephen Colbert is moving into Johnny Carson's seat, essentially. I mean, he's moving into David Letterman's seat, but, you know, he's moving into the top of the late night pile. That's network seating. You know, this is it. This is the pinnacle. He's going forward into the field of battle. Yes. Letterman's last show, which was awesome. Uh, I mean, he's old and he's retiring and that's he's allowed to do that. And Mm -hmm. uh, he's put in the hours that he was going to do. And Mm -hmm. it's it wasn't that's not a retreat. No. Um, John Stewart's last show was sad in a way that that the other two were not. Mm -hmm. And it was sad in a defeat sort of way of, you know, I tried and I just don't have it in me anymore to do this. Mm -hmm. And that's a tragedy. Not that it's not not understandable. (laughs) Not not that it doesn't, not that the battle doesn't need to be waged or won. Yeah. And and that was what was so poignant too. Yeah. Uh, Talk about his speech that he gave in the middle of the show about bullshit. (laughs) His evolution from mm-hmm. um, from the from the rally to restore sanity, yeah. which was you know 
both sides are going to gotta learn to get along. Yeah. And really, you could watch the evolution. And this is where um, the loss of Barack Obama as our president Mm -hmm. uh, is going to be uh, similar in in a lot of ways. The the emotional um, touch points it will it will hit. Mm-hmm. Are going to be similar, you know, like, oh man, that's a hole. Oh, yeah. we didn't really appreciate what we had, and now he's yeah. gone. Yep. Um, but the, to watch the evolution of of Barack Obama, the centrist um, sneering at the professional left, so, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. embracing the David Brooks view of Washington. If we just capitulate some more to the Republicans, maybe we'll get what we want. If we just honor them and dis- and respect them and keep the liberals at arm's length because they're kind of scary and smelly, then eventually, you know, if we just honor both sides, you know, that sort of this, the Springfield Democratic Party sensibility that that uh, Barack Obama got when he was in Illinois, which is, you, you know, you come, you play poker, you compromise. That's how you get things done in the Springfield State House, you know, and and maybe that will work in Washington, too. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The evolution of that guy to a man who will give a major foreign policy address and point to the Republican Party and say, those people are fucking crazy and they're dangerous and they've been wrong forever. And why don't they just shut the hell up? Why is anyone listening to them? Is pretty much the same evolution that Jon Stewart went through from his rally to restore sanity, which yep. blown opportunity. He had yep. hundreds of thousands of people on it and he still was clinging to this silly infantile notion that if only – both parties would somehow... If we just would take turns and yeah. get a chance to get along, yeah. And, and not not refer to each other as Hitler. Right. <laughs> just stop calling with the names and the this and the that. Yeah. And, yeah. and his evolution from that to, look, the problem is fucking Fox News. Yep. The problem is the Republican Party. And, and it is... And they are dangerous, and they are uh, relentless, and they are well-funded, and, and they're crazy, and nothing I'm doing is stopping them. Right. I can right. I can point because really, and we've talked about this, and a lot of other people have talked about this in various articles. John Stewart Stick has become pointing a camera at Fox News and saying, "Can you fucking believe these people?" Mm-hmm. In a variety mm-hmm. of different guises, a variety of different methods, um, you know, he has that's his thing. And and at some point, as an artist, and he is an artist, you have to say, "I can't do this anymore." Yeah. This is exhausting yeah. and I, they're throwing money at me and I, I'm, I'm well respected and I have all – I have the respect of my peers and that's a great thing. I work with great people. But I, this is just a waste of time. I can't mm-hmm. – pointing a camera at obviously crazy people, saying obviously crazy things and saying, please, would you stop listening to them and then having nothing happen at all. People mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. – is, is, he's finally really come to the place where liberal bloggers have been frankly all along, which is, yeah. oh my god, they're – a disease. They're a, a malfunction of democracy that will not be corrected by humor or jostling or reason or hope or prayer or niceness. You're going to have to really get in there with both hands and, and tear this party down. And that is not something that a comedian is equipped to do. Yep. And and I thought his speech when the when you smell something, yeah. say something speech it was brilliant was was more moving in a way than the rest of the show, which was tear filled because, yeah. you know, everyone's very moved by him leaving. But him making a plea to all of us to watch for this and to say something, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can't be him. And uh, nope. although, uh, you know, we are now taking John Stewart's place. <laughs> <laughs> Badly. Somebody 
somebody on Twitter said, I'm not going to watch the debates. I'm going to leave leave this to the professional left. And I tweeted back and said, we're happy to replace Jon Stewart as the go-to filter. Yeah. Go-to comedy filter for Bullshit Mountain. Absolutely. Well, but I'm not going to watch Fox News all day to do well, that. And, I, and I, I joked with you that, that we have become the Richard Nixon of podcasts. <laughs> you know? Um, just keep going. Is that no, it? No, there, there's a, this is, this is a uh, Philip K. Dick joke. Uh, Cause you know, Dick jokes. Oh, uh, oh, K- Philip K. Dick, because he, uh, Ni- Nixon in a Philip K. Dick story killed all of his opponent. competition. Everybody. Right? Yeah, the, his, in time, tra- he, he had the ability to see into the future well, and he was able to kill everyone. No, like no, he, he was told Kennedy and after he, hmm? after he lost the election in 62, mm-hmm. um, he was 60, told 60. Well, no. And then he lost for the Senate. Oh, in 62. You know, he lost. He went to California. He lost that one, too. Someone jokingly tells this lightly fictionalized version of Richard Nixon. Uh, you know, you're done, man. The only way you're ever going to win office again is if you just kill everybody who's in your way. And so the, the fictional Nixon goes, interesting that you should. <laughs> and over the course of the next six, eight years. Um, everybody, virtually every major political figure who who had national standing from Malcolm X to the head of the Nazi party to Martin Luther King, Bobby Kennedy, you, you know the list. It's a long and ugly list. Uh, were uh, shot, including Wallace in, in 70, I think, 72, um, were either killed or, or, or wounded or driven out of the field, leaving nobody but Nixon, <laughs> you know? Yep. So and, – and, so I joked with you that we're the Richard Nixon of podcasts. We're, we're the Richard Nixon because there's nobody left. Uh, but looking back, you know, this is an occasion kind of for mourning um, in, a, in, a, in a real way. It's not a, a, a mass killing. It's not 9-11. It's not that kind of mourning. But I look back and I see Jonathan Swift, the blogger who mm-hmm. died, uh, mm-hmm. Steve Gilliard who passed away, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the blogs that spun out from Stephen Gilliard's passing – just disappeared. They started off well and they, they went away. All of these groups that we sort of came up with as bloggers, all of the, the idols we had or the, the people we, we referred to, the people we went to as the go-to guys are gone. A lot of them are mm-hmm. gone and a lot of them are still in the arena. But there's a lot of people missing in action for a lot of reasons. And John Stewart is one more, um, you know, Omar Bradley. You know, he's our George Patton and he's decided – I can't win this war. I've, I've yeah. done my bit for king and country, and he has. He's done it for 17 years, and he has. He has been absolutely a stalwart, and he has. And he has become, because certain liberal networks are dying in front of our very eyes, MSNBC is becoming Fox Light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Pretty much the only mm-hmm. way they can squeeze in a story oftentimes about how fucked up the Republican Party is is by putting a clip of Jon Stewart up. And saying, you know what John Stewart said last night? Because I can't say that shit on the air, but John can. I'm reporting it as a story that someone said somewhere, like a lost dog or a shark attack. And now that's not there. Yeah, um, I'm sure Larry Wilmore will do a fine job. He has so far. But there's a giant missing piece in our media that should never have been part of our media. Yeah. Because our media was so broken that the only person that we could the, – the, our Walter Cronkite, our Mark Twain – our Will Rogers all rolled into one was an aging Jewish comedian on mm-hmm. basic cable who was on four nights a week for half an hour. For 22 minutes. That's how yep. broken our yep. media is. That nobody else, no one else in the entire corporate media, the entire Beltway media, 
can or will tell the truth with as much fidelity and as much consistency as this one guy on this one show. And that's just a tragedy. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I noticed, I was thinking about this last night that 22 minutes, you know, four nights a week. Yep. John Stewart did 88 minutes a week. And so do we. Yep. (laughs) So (laughs) John, if you need any help setting up a podcast, call me. Yeah. Yeah, we put it I'm our, on the Twitter yeah. as at Blue Gal. Just, you know, throw out a line. Yeah. I'd be glad to show you how to work audacity. It's not hard. Yeah, if Marin won't take your calls, uh, blow in a call to us. And I do this with zero staff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. We're going to stop there, Drift Glass. I know we are, uh, Gal. Tough week. Mm-hmm. There is, interestingly enough, there is a... Uh, column in Politico that is extremely critical it's by Michael Grunewald, critical of the debate, called A Debate Without Moderation. Mm-hmm. The Trump effect is shaping policy, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this is this is a very good night for Hillary Clinton or whoever the Democratic nominee is going to be. I hope it is. Uh, and uh, Bobby Jindal, <laughs> here, here was the point Michael Grunewald tweeted. Mm-hmm. Jindal was like, I'd commit a crime on day one. Yeah. And everyone was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Well, and- <laughs> he was going to use the IRS. This is Nixonian. Right. I'm going to use the IRS to investigate Planned Parenthood. Yeah. 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 That's like criminal behavior on the part of the president. You realize that, right? Well, you know, and, and just, you know, jump up to the grown up table. Yeah. And there's Ben Carson saying, yeah, I torture people. Sure. Yeah. Waterboard. Yeah. What, what, I have no problem with that. It, it was applause lines for the pig people that's all it was one after another and it was a bunch of people one other strategy was and this was really straight out of high school uh, mean girls club which is all fox news is you know chris christie uh i don't know if you know this but ron paul says i'm really mean about you last week he called you an asshole and a (laughs) blowhard so what do you have to say about that uh chris christie and it was so and so who's two feet to your right says something mean about you why don't you go over and slap them and it and it just – it was so embarrassing. I mean that that this is how one of our two major political parties conducts its public business through mm-hmm. the filter of an obviously fascist right-wing propaganda house is so uh, – at the end of the day, so, not just dangerous because it is and reckless because it is and unforgivable, but it's so goddamn embarrassing. Yep. And the fact that the people who are affiliated with this party have – been relieved of any feeling of embarrassment. They have been absolved of ever feeling bad about opening their pie holes and saying incredibly racist, awful shit again is something that's we've said this before about the Iraq war and the Bush administration. It's going to take a generation to fix this. Yeah. Because these people need to be put back in the basement and the basement door needs to be nailed shut. And right now they're running the Republican Party. And And the one person who sounded reasonable about anything last night was John Kasich. Yeah. And he doesn't he 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 sounded reasonable about gay marriage. He said, I'm a traditional guy, Uh but I've been to a gay wedding and my eyes have been opened a little bit and I'm not going to try to overturn the Supreme Court, whatever that means. Right. Um, and uh, he's he was uh, he had a very good answer, mm-hmm. uh, a, a technocrat answer on expanding Medicaid. Yep. He said, "Look, this works for our state. This saves our state money, mm-hmm. and uh, we are uh, not punishing the mentally ill. We are 
putting them in treatment. We were putting drug addicts in treatment because of Medicaid. We're able to do that. Uh, he, Kasich is terrible on uh, pro-choice issues. He's, yes, yes. He has been for a long time. So I'm not endorsing him in any way. But it's sad that what is basically a Jerry Ford Republican uh-huh. has no place in this party. No. Um, and he may be – I mean a lot of people are saying he may be the vice presidential candidate just to deliver Ohio. I mean that yeah. that might happen. But uh, my personal opinion – this is me getting all Steve Kornacki now. Ah. <laughs> Forgive me. But uh, I think everyone's pretty sure that if Hillary is the nominee, uh, she's going to pick one of the Castro boys as a vice presidential uh, candidate, and that puts Texas in play. So, uh, you know, you're not – this is all push me, pull you, and and I'm going to stop because I don't want to turn into Steve Kornacki. (laughs) podcast. Each week we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. We have a lot of new submissions to Internet Kitty of the Week. Thank you for sending in your Internet Kitty. And uh, allow me to inform you, we never say wait list to an Internet Kitty. No. Uh, We will inform you by email when it is your kitty's time to represent the Internet. And we, we know this is a great responsibility and uh, your kitty's time will come, but we never say waitlist. That's not even possible to say to an internet kitty. It's royalty. Remember that. So this week's internet kitty has a royal name. Her name is Charlotte. And uh, Charlotte appears to put up with a lot without appearing to do so. <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> Got a couple of those. <laughs> yeah, she, su- she suffers with great uh, uh, regality. Let's put it that way. You can send your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service Go Postal Unions letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. And don't forget our Amazon link at our website. A lot of people are doing back-to-school shopping. We believe in buying local. Yes, we do. But we also believe in shopping Amazon with our link if your alternative is to go to a big box store. Mm -hmm. So if you're buying backpacks at Walmart, don't do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't do it. Go to to professionalleft.blogspot.com. Click on Amazon. You will be contributing to our cause mm-hmm. by do, by shopping there. By buying what you're already going to get. What you're already going to get. If you're going to get it at a big box store, get it from our link and pay us that way. Mm-hmm. Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, for details. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And thank you for doing that. I went and looked at those reviews uh, on iTunes the other day, and there's a couple new ones, and they're very, very sweet about our relationship, Driftglass. Oh, yes. Which is very nice. Yes. Very that's nice because, to see that. That's because you're not Steve Kornacki. I don't know. Steve Gornacki is is gay. He's out as a gay man, and uh, he keeps his relationships behind closed doors, which is fine. I I respect that. Uh, we just happen to be a married couple on on a show. Yeah. So. No, I, I just don't. I don't. I don't want you in the living room taking up the big board and explaining to me how I <laughs> Uh, breaks down, and then and and then all of our dinner guests are American Enterprise Institute assholes. 
I don't want that in my house. That is, yeah. That's what it would be like. I don't want that in my house. Let's look at the big board. Yeah. And what do you think? Uh, who did he have on last week? He had on Carly Fiorina's volunteer New York chapter head. Yeah, yeah. And somebody you know, from Reason she... Magazine. No, I don't want that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. I promise we won't do he's, that. He's one goatee away from being Chuck Todd. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Blue Gal, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? Great news. The Internet Kitties have a book deal for their new memoir entitled 101 Lenny Kravitz Dick Jokes. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, loving. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. Professional Love Podcast is recorded under Creative Commons license. Copyright 2015, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Drift Glass. Science Fiction University, first of all, we have a correction to report. We do. Not our correction. It turns out that... Uh, well, it's ours, too. Well, it's ours, too. Mine, I should say. The... Uh, Oxford University Press didn't know about robotics, right? It's R-U-R. R-U-R. Rosam. Back in my mind, I sort of knew this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I did, I, you go robot, you go with Asimov, especially when you're hungover and cranky like me. Uh, but it's uh, from Rosam's Universal Robots by Carol Kepek, and it was from a 1920 science fiction play. And the word robot is right in the title. So oh, there. So there. So there. So we got it wrong, and um, I only received 17 to 20 emails. <laughs> we got so many emails. <laughs> hey, stupid. Yeah, it's like getting beat up in the con suite. <laughs> you know, uh, a parsec can be a you. No, it's not. No, no. So uh, all the all the smart kids beat me up in the con suite, and as is the whole, the, the object of the exercise is not me being the smartest kid in the room. It's I have a lot of fun talking about this particular subject. Yes, you do. And we have a really smart bunch of listeners who, um, some of whom are weird enough to enjoy listening to it and re- reacting to it. And that's a blessing. A of, that's a blessing. Is. So I got a ton of replies uh, to the uh, two questions I asked about the origins of words, that's and I'll good. be getting. I'll be getting postcards out as soon as I get off my lazy ass and start doing, you know, productive, interesting things, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which might be another week. I don't know mm-hmm. you know how the job search goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got some you got some resumes out there. We'll see what happens. I do. Uh, OK. Um, we have a new contributor to Science Fiction University and he goes by High Desert Rat. <laughs> so High Desert Rat? We, no, no. We've got High Desert Rat and uh, Dog Faced Herman, and uh, we've got a lot of other contributors too, but those are the two. Magnolia E Publishing. Magnolia E Publishing, yeah. High Desert Rat sent us like five quizzes in one week, so we're going to use one of them and we'll alternate, and we're just, this is an embarrassment of riches because we've got so many. Don't stop sending things. Don't stop sending things. Kevin. (laughs) Because some people have to. Uh, some some of them are when when Drift Glass knows none of them, or if I say, "Have you ever read this particular author?" and he says, "No, I've never read this person," then it's not going to be an interesting science fiction university if Drift Glass has never read this author and knows nothing yeah. about them. So, but, my, limit, uh, my limits on bullshitting with complete absence of knowledge <laughs> is uh, I, as you get older, it. it gets yeah. harder. Yeah. 
But let me tell you a story about a writer I do understand. No, and no. Then, no, no. <laughs> You're evading the question. This is not the Republican no. debate. <laughs> no, you, just, you like, don't need to the change the question. subject. Right. Uh, we are going to do a series of questions about comets oh, in yeah, yeah. science fiction. Okay. Let's see how you do with these. All right. All right. Uh, and thank you very much to High Desert Rat for sending these in. Number one, what did Tim Hamner discover? Oh, I know this. Uh, this is this is um, one of the early, you know, mid-70s, I think, disaster novels, oh. apocalyptic novels. Very well done. Uh, Tim Hamner discovered the Hamner-Brown Comet. That's right. In Lucifer's Hammer by Pornell and Niven and Pornell. That's right. That's uh, really right. Post-apocalyptic a, science and fiction. It ex- and it explains it really well. It explains it as a giant Sunday, a giant ice cream Sunday. Mm. And and what happens what happens when a comet uh, breaks up and hits the earth in various places and the descriptions of you know the hit in the Gulf of Mexico that mm-hmm. drives essentially a tidal wave up the Mississippi River. Mm. Um, and 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 it does a post-apocalyptic thing. There's a, you know, the civilization is all but wiped out and these competing virtues and values are, um, so the, one of the great fights at the end is to, is to keep the, some nuclear reactor in California from flooding and shutting down, uh, because that's electricity and civilization hinges on access to electricity. So it's a very interesting novel and really it was grimly realistic. That was Mm -hmm. the thing that set it Mm -hmm. apart from a lot Mm -hmm. of others. Anyway, that's more answer than you wanted. No, it's not. It's just I don't understand where people find time to read all these books. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, have, I used to, I used to carry around a... this week. I finished a book this week, which is huge. I finished I... the five, the fifteen lives of Harry August, which is a yes. wonderful time travel book, and I do recommend it. And but it, you know, that's my summer. That's it. Was mm-hmm. I, you know, found time to read one book? I used to carry around a paperback with me mm-hmm. back pocket all the time mm-hmm. and since i was you know at the time uh going back many years i was a stock boy at sears yeah yeah you know so i would move a sofa and sling some paint cans and move a pallet of this and a, a bag of that and then hang in the back and smoke dope and read science fiction <laughs> with my and the rest of the stock boys would look at me funny but i you know i was uh, i was okay because i not because i was you know sparking up a joint but because I was pulling out a copy of Dune. Yeah. Um, and that's how I did. I mean, that's how I kept up. Yeah. Well, and I understand. I love reading time travel and some science fiction and dystopian novels. I love, you know, Margaret Atwood and so forth. Um, yeah. But I also knit and I also have children. And, you know, if, if my full-time hobby was reading, I would get a lot more done. But it's not. So, well, And that's my I, choice. So even, we go. even when I put on a suit, I was working for a large insurance company mm-hmm. as a computer programmer uh, in Chicago. I would – my lunch break was taking my paperback, going down to the Subway sandwich joint and having a sandwich and killing a chapter or two. Yeah. Yeah. So it uh, really was, yeah, I had no social life, so that made it easier. <laughs> <laughs> it's different when you have three children. And, it is. You know, and and knitting and a lot of other things to do. So And you're doing a goddamn podcast. And we're doing a goddamn podcast every week, and that's fun. But that also means paying attention to news and yes. so forth. And- well, and you know, it's remarkably similar. Uh, I don't know if you've had this experience to music in that 
I can walk through the last 30, 40 years, 30 years, and there are periods during which I, I got very intensely interested in music. Mm-hmm. And I, I, have a, I know a lot about the music of this one wedge of time. Mm-hmm. And you can just see, oh, I was in a relationship. Oh, I was working really hard. Oh, I was like working three jobs. And my interest in music faded in and out over time. And I can really see where the gaps are. And it overlaps with just having no time in my life to pay attention to this one thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it maps out almost perfectly. And, and reading is somewhat the same. Mm-hmm. So trade-offs, baby. Trade-offs. trade-offs. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, question two. We really got off the <laughs> sorry trail there. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, question two. Who are the co-joiners? Um... They're the people who follow Ben Carson around. <laughs> no. Reunite Siamese twins, is that right? No. That right? <laughs> they, re, they, they undo all of the Siamese twins that Ben, ben Carson, Carson took yeah, apart. Okay. Sure no. That's who they are. And the they co-join- live in comet, right? The co joiners are a future human civilization's most advanced society who live in the interior of a comet in the very distant Oort cloud of another star. Oh, yeah. This is from Anna, Alistair Reynolds. Revelation Space Redemption Arc novel. All right. Number three. What happened in H.G. Wells in the days of the comet? I bet there was an interaction with the comet and something happened. I think I actually read this, but I I know know it changed the world. I have no idea. It did change the world. The vapors of a comet's tail cause an instantaneous worldwide utopian society. (laughs) That's very turn of the 19th to 20th century. Yeah. Utopian novels were a big deal. Very uh, primarily because of so many uh, technological revelations yeah. going on at that time. So oh, going bang, yeah. bang, bang, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, number four. What mm-hmm. did captured comets do in Dan Simmons' Hyperion universe? Oh, um, they were they were used for their water. They were harvested. That's right. Like, Very good, because their ice orbital forest rings make use of captured comets as irrigation devices. The orbital forest receives water and other important supplies from passing shepherd comets. Mm-hmm. All right. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of there's a subgenre, not a subgenre really, but a, a, a way of getting water back on Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you crash some some comets into it. Things like that. All right. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's a See, lot of good stuff this is, out there. This is what could be depressing if I allowed it to get to me, but you well, do what a lot you can. Of, there's a lot of great – there's a lot of building material and raw material out there in the solar system mm-hmm. for, the, for the taking. All right. Number five. Hmm? What happened in Gregory Benford and David Brin's novel, Heart of the Comet? Well, I'm guessing something happened at the heart of a comet. <laughs> I'm guessing since it's a story, uh, it involves people. So I'm guessing there are people at the heart of the comet. Yeah. A multinational team colonizes Halley's Comet, building a habitat within the ice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Very interesting. I, that, 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 that seems to be a subgenre also, living within a comet or finding a way to build something within a comet that has some sort of predictability of time. Okay. Uh, here's one for you, because I know you love Spider Robinson. I do. What did a woman do in Spider Robinson's short story, The Gifts of the Magistrate? It has to do, again, with Haley's Comet. I am I'll really glad to hear Spider Robinson's name again. Yeah? Um, I don't know. A woman who altered the orbit of Haley's Comet is put on trial. <gasps> 
For terrorism? No, she did it to save the life of her friend Clement Samuels, who believes that he, like Samuel Clemens, or Mark Twain, uh-huh. has been born during one appearance of Halley's Comet and is doomed to die during the next. So her solution to that is to alter the orbit of Halley's Comet. That's a very Spider Robinson thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an extreme way to deal well, with the problem. <laughs> it's it's a very um, humane and funny um, answer to a, a, a ethical question. Uh-huh. And it involves big science. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, it does. And, and that's that a very Spider-Robinson thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, number seven. In the last story published by Mark Twain during his life, what did Captain Elias Stormfield do? And it does have something to do with a comet. <laughs> Well, he wrote he wrote a comet. I remember the cover of the book is like yeah, that's right. He uh, wrote a comet. He wrote the comet to heaven. Yeah, which... the story's title was Captain Stormfield's Visit to Heaven. Mm-hmm. He wrote it. Those, All right. Those, those late stories by Mark Twain are very interesting. Uh huh. Yeah. Letters, they, yeah. Letters from the Earth is really that's. I think it was published after his death because Jesus, he was pretty hard on the human race, but really good writing. It's just um, he, the like John Stewart. Eventually, the uh, satire starts to slip away, mm-hmm. yeah. and he just grabs you by the lapels and what's wrong with you people? Yep. So, anyway. Very much so. All right. Uh, number eight. What did a comet called Gallia, G-A-L-L-I-A, do? All right. Sorry. It, I'm going to give you a hint. It's a Jules Verne story. Oh, okay. Uh, um, it was constructed of wood and spit and Frenchman, <laughs> and it landed on the earth and said, Hello. The comet touched Earth and took part of an area near Gibraltar with it. 36 people traveled to space on this comet. So it slowed down enough to Picked just... Picked up 36 people yeah. and flew back off to... Wow. <laughs> That's the thing. you got to have some sort of transportation to the comet thing. We'll have something on. called... It's, it'll, we'll call it the Canterbury Tales. <laughs> except it'll be the tale of a comet. No, we'll call it Stagecoach. And it'll be exactly the same as the Canterbury Tales. Well, then you have to have a prostitute on the on the comet. And That's that true. changes everything. That's All right. True. She has to have a heart of gold, too. Exactly. And uh-huh. be a good mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And you, wrote, you, wrote a, you wrote a really good um, analysis of Stagecoach. I did. Coach. Did you I not? Did. I did. For Your checkered past? For, well, it was for my... Um, I, I had to take for graduate school and my this was not my master's degree in theological studies this is my other other master's degree in education which i had which i had when i had two in diapers um and i don't have time to read you know let me tell you (laughs) now i'm i'm bitching about not having time to read okay um the uh, I wrote about Stagecoach in that uh, John Wayne never kisses his intended, the woman he runs off with at the end of Stagecoach. Sorry for the spoiler. Spoiler. Mm-hmm. Because, and as you said, John's never kissed their horse. <laughs> right. And John Wayne's never kissed their horse. So, right. right. Yeah. There is no kissing whatsoever in this movie. And that came um, as a uh, shock. It came as a shock to my professor, yes, who's seen this movie a hundred times and never thought about it. And so that was kind of fun. Kind of fun to surprise him. It's, it's, and you got kicked out of that class to feminist studies, right? No, I didn't. Okay. (laughs) No, I didn't. The other person in that class, this guy was somebody who wanted to watch movies and smoke pot, the professor. Yeah. So he found this job. (laughs) You know, he was a boomer who found tenured position in Alabama. He was from England, but he. Went to Alabama to get a tenured position teaching American studies. <laughs> yeah. And 
he it was a graduate seminar and he just announced to the class that me fran and this other person uh in the class who was um a gay man absorbed and obsessed with joan uh, there's only two possibilities crawford. Oh, joan crawford. of arc or, or crawford yeah joan crawford yeah. <laughs> Who, he was completely and utterly obsessed with Joan Crawford. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he announced the second class that these two people are going to get A's in this class and the rest of you better get to work. <laughs> let, the, let the beatings begin. Let yeah. the beatings begin. <laughs> so that was funny. But, you know, as I said to one of my other professors, look... <laughs> I'm 43 years old. I should be spanked if I can't get an A in a graduate studies course, you know? <laughs> Just ridiculous, you know? Mm. All right. That, we're going off on lots of tangents here. Still. I'm not going to have any time to talk about Mr. Robot. Oh, well. Um, all right. We are in number nine, anyway. All right. While not exactly a comet, what was inside the stone Greg Bear wrote about in Eon? Oh, I actually read this. Um, it was hollowed out and had, uh, it was big, big on the inside. It, had, it was hollowed out, had um, uh, people living in it or buildings in it or some structures. And it had this, it did have one weird feature. It, it was, it had like an entirely different dimension, you know, a bent space or something going on, on the inside of it that was... Mm-hmm. Different than just normal. It was like a target. I'll, I'll give you points for that. The stone was a <clears throat> hollowed out asteroid, which was terraformed mm-hmm. and had an abandoned cities inside of it. In okay. the seventh chamber was an entire pocket universe. Okay. So All right. Go. I do Last one. Uh-huh. What was Gallagher's Glacier by Walt and Lee Richmond? And what did Gallagher do with his glacier? <laughs> uh,. He rode it around and had adventures. Yes, he did. I, I, that's as generic an answer as I can give about something I have never read. So. Yes, he did. Walton Lee Richmond wrote a collection of short stories about an independent and ingenious spacer. His name was Gallagher, and he turned an ice comet into a spaceship. I, I got to look, because that's got to be... That sounds so cool. That sounds like 40s or 50s Yeah, and boy's life. And uh, he uses his... Um, Ice Comet Spaceship to Outsmart Evil Corporations. Yeah. So it could yep. be early 60s. A uh, spacer. A spacer Stop. and... Uh, pardon? No, I'm talking to a cat out here who wants to talk to us. Yeah. At the overlap between cats and spacers, you will always find Robert Heinlein. Oh, the short stories were published frequently in Analog. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Gallagher's Glacier is from 1970. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a dystopian galaxy run by private corporations. Ah, that, that's okay. That's the gimbal. And that's and then you get onto the, mm-hmm. you know, the the ice ship. <laughs> yeah. And you're all set. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, Desert Rat. We appreciate these, and we'll be doing more of his questions, and I'm sure we'll be doing more of Dogface Terman's questions, and. Uh, very excited to have all of this source material to talk about science fiction. Yeah. Now, uh, we're not going to talk about True Detective because no. we're just no. sick of it. No. Enough. The, um, final, the final exam is this Sunday, so we, we have to go and, and study. And, and I'm not even going to get into how you would fix it anymore. We're just no. done. No. Uh, no. no. Don't, watch, don't watch it. Don't it's watch it. It's a waste it. of time. Don't watch and, it. And uh, so... Let's talk about what I can we talk about what we talked about at dinner the other night because definitely I, I feel like uh, I robot no. I robot 
was I robot, Mr. Mr. Robot. I feel like Mr. Robot this week was a, as you said, a housekeeping issue, even though there was a character that died in it. Uh, it really was kind of cleaning up some loose ends. Uh-huh. Um, so really well, by the way, really well, really yeah, worth this, this series is show. so worth watching. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to talk about a hypothetical question that I asked you at dinner the other night. I asked you, based on two things. One is the book I had just finished, uh-huh. which is called The 15 Lives of Harry August. And it is a time travel uh, story where a person is reborn over and over again to the same mother at the same moment, but remembers the lives that they had before. So they can remember... For instance, and this would not be a spoiler uh, to the plot, they can remember the winners of the Grand National Horse Race so that they can go and make money, okay? Right. And this is a group of people that this happens to. It's a group of people this happens to on Earth, and they don't space travel. They don't do anything, uh, you know, extraterrestrial at all. It's just time travel within Earth. Across many centuries. Many centuries, yeah. But you still die. And when you die, you go back to the moment you were born. And whether that is 1600 or 1900, you still go back and you have that. Either you have 50 years or you have 80 years or whatever you have. You still have this maximum 85 or 90 year. You know, you're a human being. but right. um, And you can get killed. You can get killed in a car crash. You can commit suicide. You can do you, – but you will always wind up going back and remembering. Uh, so there was that book. And then you and I have been listening to uh, a wonderful, uh, you, we call it P-Dog. 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 <laughs> we've been Rick listening Perlstein. Rick Perlstein, who's our friend from Chicago. We've, we've broken bread with him on more than one occasion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we hate it when our friends become successful. It's not just a song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, no, we're, we're really, we're him, really right? excited. He works very hard at researching his books. And he does. Uh, wonderful writer and nice guy. And so, um, but we've been listening to uh, The Invisible Bridge, which is his book of uh, Nixon to Reagan and how the Republican Party sort of manages that transition. You might call it a sprawling book. It it is sprawling, yeah. It takes a lot of time with all of its subjects. It really does. And we thought we were done with the book when we got to the end of the CD. And then I went in the glove compartment. Oh, wait, there's two more CDs. And we thought it was weird because they were talking an awful lot about Ford. Ford and Nixon. And Nixon for, for a book about Reagan. But... That was just the no, pre-law. That was just the There's opening. No. Uh, and, and like I said, it's really well written, highly recommended. It's great to put in your car and use for a commute because it's a long book, but you really learn a lot about the history of politics in our lifetime. And, yeah, and the history the history of television. Oh, it's so interesting. Don't don't give anything away about that. No, it's no. Just, wow. I will I will I will give this away. How Tax avoidance schemes led to the creation of early television. Early television. It's, Hollywood it's, Hollywood stars wanting to avoid taxes. Yeah, yeah. It's a remarkable really story. And, and how Reagan played into that. Um, and as union leader and as anti-communist crusader and all kinds of things. Very, very well done. Yep. So we were, we've been listening to that book in the car. And we I had just finished this book. And so at dinner... 
a very nice dinner. Thank you very much. And I want to thank the podcast uh, donor who told us that we had to take the money that he sent us and go out to dinner. And so we went out to a nice dinner. And, and so we did. And happy birthday yeah. and happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Our anniversary is coming up August 19th. So uh, it was just a lovely time. And uh, so at dinner, we were talking about time travel and kind of uh, I was meshing all of these ideas in my head, and I said to you, Dirk Glass, what would you be willing to do um, if you could go back in time? W- would you, first of all, would you go back in time to, say, 1969? Uh-huh. You get three channels on TV, three or four <clears throat> with PBS. Right. You get four. And UHF. Uh, UHF. Okay, UHF. But, yeah. Some movies. Um, it's color, color TV. But the media world is Eric Severide and Walter Cronkite uh-huh. and half an hour of hopefully fact-based news, news. rather right. than talking heads all day long. Yep. And there's no internet. Yep. Uh, but you have basically the seeds of journalism that are going to lead to exposing Watergate rather than the seeds of journalism that go about hyping a war. Right. You know, that's the difference. You give up the timeline that leads to Fox News. Right. Essentially. Right. And I'm not saying Fox News wouldn't still happen, but you get to be in this world. And what you give up to be in that world is Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I'm not even going to say True Detective. True Detective season one. (laughs) Well, John Stewart. John Stewart, right? Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. You give all that up, right? All of the all of the really amazing art that mm-hmm. is, has been on television for mm-hmm. the last twenty years mm-hmm. uh, longer. I'm, I'm not going to put a time frame on it. Mm-hmm. Plus, all of the spinoff um, internet connectivity, yeah, community building, etc. Well, and and you know, you asked me a lot of questions when I posited this of. Are race relations still the same as they are? Are gender relations still the same as they are? And I said, no, let's really treat this in isolation. Let's make this about television. Let's, you know, this hypothetical question is, you know, we ha- what we have now is a broken news media. Yes. I think you and I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and probably the best television entertainment drama art on you know, tv art on tv yeah. that the, the man of the high castle for god's sakes was is, really is, the, the we watched the <clears> first <throat> episode the rest is coming out in the fall but really well done and, yeah. and there's a place for all of it and you get to watch it on demand yep. Yep. <laughs> it's amazing you get to sit down anytime you're available and it's there on your screen which is Jules Verne, you know, which yeah. he's sitting there go, yep, this is pretty much what I imagined. So, um, but the trade-off is you lose all of that yep. to go back and and not have this broken media. And what was your answer? Well, my answer was as long as I'm not agreeing, this is like answering a genie's question. Yeah, it is. Or answering a pact with the devil, because there's always some detail in it that screws you up. <laughs> uh, and if you were writing this as a short story... Oh, that, be like, that would be the crux of the plot, right? Would be the be unknown a, thing that you didn't anticipate. Yeah, yeah. Because this is the best of all possible worlds, <laughs> um, and that's the lesson we learn. Yeah. Don't try to change anything. Don't try to change everything anything. Is for the best. Uh, the, so the question would be: Do do I have to take race relations, gender relations, um, uh, LGBT mm-hmm. rights right. back to 1969 mm-hmm. and live with that? And the answer is no. No. <clears throat> okay, that's fine. I don't give that up. I don't give up advancements we have made as halting as they are mm-hmm. in those fields. Mm-hmm. Um, I give up 
the art of television, and you put this question very well, mm-hmm. um, you would, in, in your case, trade the politics of today for the arts of today. I would, because I feel as though art and self-expression is in many ways more lasting and more of a sort of what our imprint is on the story of human culture uh-huh. than these, you know, this anthill of talking heads that in the end, no one's going to remember. And that's a very good argument. I think, I think we, we winnowed, mm-hmm. we I, I don't want to overstate or understate or, or simplify, but we sort of winnowed down your position that that is a trade. Mm-hmm. That, that's mm-hmm. the trade we're talking about. And in my case, and that's I, a false. I realize that's a false argument that we sure. did not trade those things. But no. and yeah. that this is a, a hypothetical. It, this is a question that leads to a larger dialogue, yeah. which is and it's based on a, a totally made up novel with people being reborn yeah. <laughs> and living yeah. and deciding to sit out the war. And, you know, World War Two. It's it's it's, a, it's fiction, right? Okay. So no John Stewart, mm-hmm. uh, but no Fox News. Right. Basically, that's the that's the trade. Plus all of the ancillary stuff. Right. <clears throat> and I would have to say. Um, I will take four channels and UHF uh, because I don't give up movies. I don't give up books. Uh, I don't give up technological advancements. Mm-hmm. There's, there's still going to be a computer. There's still going to be microcircuitry. There's still going to be um, uh, the Internet will come at some point because mm-hmm. it was invented in mm-hmm. 1969. It just won't come in the shape that we know it now because I think art finds a way. Mm-hmm. I think creative people will find a way because you had Lenny Bruce without the yeah. Internet. Yeah, and you did. And Richard Pryor without the internet. Uh, you had George Carlin without the internet. You had people who spoke truth to power and were famous for it without 57 channels, 150 channels, or cable television. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that the the anthill of talking heads, as you very accurately put it, is a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is the disaster of our time. Mm-hmm. And the, the confluence of corrupt media... And corrupt politics mm-hmm. uh, is is the worst thing you could possibly have in a democracy, and we're living through that right now. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah. while nobody will remember um, Sean Hannity fifty years from now, the damage he does yeah. will live on well past his lifespan. Well, the, the, I'm not so sure about that, but I, well, I look, tend to be more optimistic than you anyway, because you're a sour Irishman. I am, <laughs> um, but. I, I'm a skeptic. I sit next to the cynics, and I believe half of what they say. Mm. And and I I think we are also ignoring in this question uh, the uh, influence that politics has on art and art has on politics. For instance, there would be no Sex Pistols without Margaret Thatcher. That's that's true. You know, I mean, that's putting it in stark example. Um, So perhaps we need... I'm not saying this is the best of all possible worlds. I'm not that Pollyannish, but perhaps things are as they are because of the way things are, not because we are able to change one element of them. So, well, this is that 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 put it, put us in mind of Orson Welles' uh, cuckoo clock speech, mm-hmm. the Third Man, where mm-hmm. he's he's talking about the difference between uh, Renaissance Italy. And Switzerland, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one of them had poisoning and murder and mayhem and yep. destruction. The Medici's and, and Medici's. magnificent cathedrals, right? And they had the Renaissance, and the, <laughs> yeah. the, the Switzerland had you know four hundred years of peace and prosperity and gave us the cuckoo clock. Yeah. Now that's not that's not exactly true, but it's, mm-hmm. it is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. so the question is, what do we give up? And I really do believe I couldn't agree more. Art will respond 
to the crisis of the day and to the politics of the day. It will mm-hmm. rise to the occasion. It always has. It always will. And I include comedy, the art of yeah. satire in this yeah. very yeah. definitely. But John Swift didn't need the internet. Mark Twain didn't need the internet. Mm-hmm. And those things, that relationship between bad politics and bad public policy and corrupt people and corrupt institutions and the artists mocking them or 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 hanging yeah skewering i mean yeah. i look at key and peel every episode of key and peel that i watch there's so much to unpack in a key and peel skit in terms of not just criticizing the racist culture in which we live but criticizing black culture as well i mean there's just so much there that is given voice by cable tv well <laughs> so, and this is Let's talk a little bit about John Stewart in this context, and not to jump too far ahead. But I you think, want to do that now instead of it? The I think we're going to talk about that in the regular podcast. Well, so let me let me let me lay here's it. my concern. Some yeah. people turn off the podcast during when Science Fiction University okay. starts. All right. So, and here's, I don't. I I think they would want to hear what we have to say about John Stewart. So okay. Then here's the hook. Let's talk mm-hmm. about that. John Stewart. <laughs> John Stewart is resigning. Yeah. Um, and part of his resignation is I didn't change anything. Yeah, and that's what I want to talk about, too. Okay, good. I want, good, good. I, I want to talk about that and, and what the loss is there. So we're going to leave it there. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. And, and uh, we will see you next week. And next week is our last week before kids come back. Yes. So we're going to have a time. But it, it I'm, I'll be glad to see them. And uh, we'll just keep going. But it'll be different. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, we're closing in on our 300th episode. So Yeah, the 300. And we're going to... Uh, celebrate that that's in a month so because this well, is 296 so four weeks from now where we have our 300 that's exciting. coming up and i don't know that we'll actually celebrate anything because we'll probably end up doing this like every other no podcast. we're just going to do it's... a podcast <laughs> like <laughs> we know? always did holy crap it's almost friday what are we gonna do you know what yeah. you could do for our 300th episode drift class me personally what could i do yeah mass email send three dollars sure every day <laughs> You know, I'm thinking about that. 300 uh, episodes. Send us a penny per episode. No, I was thinking more along the lines of Elizabeth Warren uh, is sick and tired of the guff in Washington. Send us $3. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Planned Parenthood's under attack. Send $3 to a completely unrelated organization. <laughs> because. That's sign my petition. Send me $3. Off. Yeah. That well. when I get an email from someone who is not Planned Parenthood saying, say Planned Parenthood, send $3. Send me $3. Fuck you. I'll send yeah. $3 to Planned Parenthood. Thank you very much. All yeah. right. Bye, baby. Love you. I'll talk Love you. to you later. Bye. Bye.